Midwife Calling. Welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we take each episode of Call the Midwife one by one, spoiler free, and talk about them. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we're talking about the second episode of season one, which is the second episode of anything ever of Call the Midwife. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, before we get into our recap on our episode last week we (laughs) made a couple of mistakes one was i kept saying evangelista when i meant it's actually evangelina i don't know where i got lista from we we both did i i mean this is gonna sound very like but i only said it because you said it but (laughs) i also did say it (laughs) yeah so we know it's evangelina for all who were yelling at their podcasts Secondly, uh, we discovered that the Netflix version of Call the Midwife and the version that aired on BBC and is available on DVD is different. There are 10 minutes missing. So our first episode, we talked about the Netflix version and we're not going to go back and revisit at this point. But from now on, we'll, we'll talk about the actual BBC version, which includes some scenes that are not in the Netflix version. So if you're watching along on Netflix, know that like there's just a couple of extra things that are there. Yeah, and we we are watching it on DVD that we get from the public library, and you can probably find it from the public library also. And if you can't, you might kindly ask your library to please order the Call the Midwife DVDs. Yes, indeed. If you have the ability to play DVDs, which a lot of people oh, don't anymore, you know? That, that <laughs> is very true. I We're about to get into the show, but... I teach, and I'm this semester teaching Beyonce's Lemonade as a poetry unit in an English course, and I asked my students to watch the visual album, uh, which you can just, I put the DVD on the book order list, buy the DVD and watch it, and then my students kept coming to me and be like, I don't have a DVD player or access to one, so a DVD is not helpful to me, is there any place I can stream this? And I was like, well, not for free or legally, <laughs> except that you can buy a uh, you can buy a trial subscription to Title and then cancel it, <laughs> <laughs> or you can pay for Title. Anyway, this is all off topic. It's just DVDs. Yep, they're of the past. They're of the past, except that we have computers that still play them, and we have we actually recently purchased a DVD player for our kids basically (laughs) we also purchased a vhs player back in 2004 or something when it was like very much too late to purchase a vhs player this is none of this is relevant to call the anyway okay let's get into the episode tired of us rambling about media so let's get into the nursing cap the recap nursing cap am i still saying that or do you hate it you You know, you say what you're going to (laughs) say. You are your own person. (laughs) (laughs) Mature Jenny narrates about the nighttime being a time for women as she cycles to a birth. She delivers a baby to a woman who curses out her husband as Jenny narrates that this would all happen again. 
we see the nuns at Compline, and then we see a young woman who's named Mary on the street inviting a man into the brothel, broken up by shots of Ingrid with her new family. In the morning, Mary is paid and joined by another woman who notices she's pregnant. She tells her she'll need to get rid of it. Jenny cycles home in the sun and returns to a busy Nanata's house. A new nurse arrives, Camilla Fortescue Chumley Brown, known as Chummy. She's tall, awkward, and posh. Jenny brings Chummy a uniform, which she doesn't fit into, so Chummy breaks out a sewing machine. Mary creeps out of the brothel, stealing as she goes. Chummy makes patterns and chats with the other nurses, revealing that she knows Princess Margaret and her father has been knighted. When Fred arrives with a bicycle, Chummy says she doesn't know how to ride. Trixie and Cynthia try to teach her to the mockery of the neighborhood children, including a young boy named Jack. So what do we think of that opening? I mean, I think that uh, maybe we should say here so it's clear for people. We'll go through recaps chunk by chunk, but we might talk about things that happen later in the episode. Absolutely. So what do you think in the light of the whole episode of that preamble, that uh, mature Jenny nighttime is a time for women? I, that was interesting because that's not a normal assumption. Generally, it's like nighttime is dangerous for women. Women shouldn't be out at night. Women should be inside at night. But she's going from a place where there's all these dock workers and these men who are working during the day. And so it is this idea of like these, the only people awake at night are these women giving birth. Mm -hmm. But then we immediately see that what's happening at night is these men going to brothels is, uh, it's not a woman's world for Mary and her fellow workers that, are dealing with men. Yeah. I mean, like, it's uh, it's a whole thing, right? Take Back the Night is decades away when this is set. Yeah. But Take Back the Night is based on the idea that the night is not a safe place, a safe time for women. Yeah. I think that really it highlights that at the beginning of this episode... Jenny has an innocence that she doesn't have by the end of the episode. And despite the fact that it's like older her narrating, she's narrating as young Jenny. So young Jenny is, you know, cycling. It's completely dark. There's not a soul on the road. And she feels like, wow, this night belongs to me. It belongs to this woman who I'm helping deliver a baby for. She doesn't realize, she doesn't see the Marys of the world yet. And by the end of this episode she'll have her eyes opened yeah, and a lot of her innocence will be lost. And that's whether that's good or bad, I think I mean, remains I think to be seen. Necessary. But yeah, it's ne- yeah, exactly. I totally agree. I totally agree that this, the, if you weren't paying attention, you might think that this is like a statement that the show endorses that night is for women, but it's like the ultimate statement of uh, Jenny's, naivety at the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. exactly she, and the show contrasts like you pointed out mary and ingrid and the nuns and those three things are cut on top of each other because they are three different things happening at night yeah exactly and uh jenny sees two of them mm-hmm. and really only sees one of them yeah exactly um i like 
that she is delivering a baby and the woman is cursing at her husband and saying, you know, the classic, like, he did this to me. I'm never doing this again. As another baby is crying in the cot. And Jenny is just like, she'll, she'll say that, but I'll be back here. Kind and of thing. It's another, though, like, example of there's this narrator idealism that contrasts with what we actually see and there's a we saw it in the last episode and we see it more profoundly here that Mm -hmm. like this talk of like there would always be a next time and she always would and babies are born from love from last episode Mm -hmm. really like stark contrast to you know no woman ever would kill her husband women do kill their husbands Mm -hmm. like doesn't happen often maybe it never happened I don't know if it ever happens on Call the Midwife. I can't think of a time. Maybe Jenny never experienced it at this time. Yeah. But like, it's not never. It's not never. (laughs) And we don't see Mary... I mean, Mary's situation isn't, I'll kill my husband for doing this to me. It's a totally different one. But it's not what uh, Jenny is narrating. Yeah. At all. Right? It's not this rose-colored glasses that she's looking through. Yeah. As... The shots of uh, Mary and the John and the brothel, those are cut with the nun singing. Mm-hmm. And we talked last week about that what they're, the prayer they're singing is something that the time of it seems like it's Compline, but it's not a prayer that I recognize as part of Compline. The prayer they're singing in this episode is a prayer I recognize yes. as a part of Compline, very much so. They're singing, Oh God, make speed to save us. Oh Lord, make haste to help us. And I talked last time, I'm probably going to bring it up again and again, that Compline seems like it's the prayer that we get in this show more than any other, mm-hmm. or the service uh, that we get more than any other. And the themes of Compline of like sleep and death are both possible in my immediate future. And that's why God save us and help us and the the theme in Compline is of god saving us from danger but also from sin Mm -hmm. so that i can go to sleep justified before god Mm -hmm. and then the splicing of that alongside uh brothel Mm -hmm. is i can't decide if maybe it's a little on the nose yeah but also it's like the things that happen at night that aren't the same People's experiences aren't the same, you know? I mean, let's be clear. These first few episodes of Call the Midwife are a little heavy-handed in parts. And I think they develop some subtlety as they go. But there are just going to be some moments of like, okay, guys, it's just a little heavy-handed. Cleanse me from my sin over a John going to visit a sex worker. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And just to be clear, I want to talk for a moment uh sex worker versus prostitute Mm -hmm. sex worker is a term we use especially nowadays for women who are or men women or men true women or men who are it is a job to be a sex worker and the word prostitute in invokes a negativity and a, a stigma as well as an implication of being it being forced upon them in this scenario in call the midwife mary has been forced into prostitution this is definitely not a empowering situation at all for her so 
we might call her alternatively a sex worker and a prostitute or rather forced into prostitution yeah. is more not really a prostitute but just to be clear on the language we're using uh mary is a victim and not empowered at all in this situation the moral judgments on sex and on sex work and on prostitution are like uh, intense Mm -hmm. um and as the show says we haven't got to this part yet but as the show kind of makes explicit they're intense and they're directed at women not at men yeah but um and one of the the theoretical underpinnings of that is this sense of the socially acceptable uh positions of women are to be either i mean there's a whole word there's a whole literature of theory and a whole word and phrasing for it and that's the virgin whore dichotomy Mm -hmm. and it's that women have can either be virgins or whores and there isn't a uh middle ground Mm -hmm. it's you're one or you're the other and the that goes along with like the the idea of mary is a prostitute is like she's a it's her identity forever, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not something that she was... The ideology behind that phrasing and why that phrasing is problematic is that it's not the something that she did. It's not something she was forced into. It's something that she is mm-hmm. and has polluted her soul. And that's what I think we both want to be really clear about not yes. being on board with. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. There is a little bit of, uh, in Call the Midwife, since it's being made now, talking about then that there is some attitudes towards Mary that there might not have been. There's a, there is, uh, I don't know, though. An acceptance. There's just like, there's, sometimes in Call the Midwife, there's just like a too good for this world-ness that people are more accepting than they might have actually been. That that could very well be true. I don't dispute. I think I will, like, go to the maps to argue that at any given point, there have always been individuals yes. who were compassionate rather than judgmental. And I'll, like, I'll accept that we're seeing mostly those individuals in this show. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, okay, so Camilla... What is her full name? (laughs) Camilla Fortescue Chumley Brown. So if you're not familiar with like British world, the more last names you have, the more posh, the more upper class you are. Her accent is so upper class. Yeah. And the phrasing she uses like the old bean and the old girl and things like these are immediately phrases that... Like the second she opens her mouth, yeah. everyone feels like, oh, she is super posh. And so the contradictoriness in, in her of she is this super posh and she's six feet tall, completely clumsy, can't yeah. ride a bicycle. It makes her like Sister Evangelina. Make, it's like she's being mocked. Yeah. I think the East End thinks she's funny. I mean, she is funny. She also is funny. <laughs> she is funny. They're like, I mean, we shouldn't claim we're Canadians, not yeah. British, and our most of 
certainly my knowledge comes from watching things on TV rather than actually living in the UK. Yes. But, yeah, before we get to she knows Princess Margaret, it's like, yeah, she totally would know Princess Margaret. She has Princess Margaret's accent. Yeah. And immediately. And also the, like, I feel like there's a degree of her clumsiness is uh, posh clumsiness. Mm. Right? Yeah, I, like, I don't think it is a contrast. It's like the way that in... I mean, it's like the way that um, upper class words, there's U words and non-U words in uh, English culture, right? And Mm -hmm. like, you know, a uh, serviette is Mm non-U, is not upper class. Napkin is upper class because the like trying to seem refined is unrefined. Yeah. And so the way that Chumley, I mean, the way that Chummy kind of stomps through the world I love Chummy so much, but I can see why to Sister Evangelina, the way that she stomps through the world doesn't just seem like it is an aspect of privilege mm. and that she has the, she can be stomping through the world. Yeah. Right? Like whether she was tall or short, that would be how someone very posh, very rich, very used to being posh and rich, like, I'm just going to walk through, call people like old, use, I, she's does not reveal a lot of uh, tact and awareness of other people's uh, insecurities while at the same time being very kind and, mm-hmm. like, compassionate as a person, right? Yeah. So I don't and think ve- that that... And very insecure herself. And very insecure herself, yes. She... I think she... Yeah, and she makes a grand impression. This is, like, her first... <laughs> From the second she steps onto the screen, I mean, I will just go to the mat with saying, I love Miranda Hart, who, who plays Chummy. She has a sitcom called Miranda. I've actually been watching it recently. Uh, she is hilarious and great. Mm-hmm. And Chummy is a great role for her. Jennifer Worth, who wrote the novels, asked Miranda Hart to be Chummy. So she... Because she's a posh she, big... Yeah, she's, she's tall a, and posh. She's tall and posh, and she said she like had the very spirit of the real chummy. Hmm. And so Miranda Hart was asked specifically for this role, and so I love the idea that like this is not only Miranda Hart bringing this joy to this role, but this is her embodying what Jennifer Worth saw in her friend. I love she, one of the first things she says to Sister Evangelina is, you know, Pa used to say, long dogs need short names. <laughs> and like, that is such, I don't know, those little <laughs> phrases that she says. Or uh, she says that her, she has, are all your dresses pink? And Chummy says, I have another one that's eau de nil. Yeah. Do you know what that is? No, not at all. Eau de nil was a trendy color. It's like pale green. Okay. Uh, but it literally means Nile water. Oh, Right. I just can't in a million years imagine Sister Evangelina describing pale green as eau de nil. No, not at all. And that's not like, I mean, Trixie might, mm-hmm. but Trixie would be putting on the airs of what Chummy does absentmindedly, yeah, right? exactly. And I love that, that like uh, Chummy doesn't say eau de nil because she's a fashion, because she's a fashionista. Mm-hmm. She says it because like... That's just what you call that that's color. That's what that color is. Yeah. Right? Or when the when the uniform doesn't fit. She says, non desperandum. Yeah. That's I mean, it's pretty obvious, but that's Latin for yeah. do not despair. And like 
She just throws she just random randomly fr- speaks Latin. Yeah, she's highly educated. Oh goodness. Privately educated. Yeah. Her father lived in India, which uh, implies that he was, you know, one of the rich people in India. Yeah, we don't and... think although she says she's going to be wants to be a missionary in Africa, we do not think that they were like uh, doing anything service oriented in India, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> They are posh and he is knighted. <laughs> um, the bicycle theme goes throughout the whole episode. Chummy learning to ride a bicycle. Uh, this neighbor, this neighborhood child that I caught more on the second watching, Jack, yeah. who is here when she's very first learning how to ride a bike and he's kind of the ringleader of the children making fun of her. And numerous points throughout the episode, he just like is on the street making fun of her. And then it turns out his mother is pregnant his sister is getting married there's a whole plot there and by the end he's on chummy's side and that's a really sweet little arc for this little boy there and then we talked about in the last episode how jenny the how the uh married couple who don't speak the same language are like a metaphor for jenny not speaking the language mm-hmm. of the east end and the bicycle is the metaphor for chummy not knowing yeah. how to navigate this world exactly exactly there's a part that is cut from the Netflix airing mm-hmm. that is when they're all sitting around uh, cutting patterns to make dresses. Trixie is flouncing around, singing along to the radio to a spoon, and she sings uh, Embrace- Embraceable You. Mm-hmm. And it's a contrast because we cut from Trixie, like, hamming up this, you know, Trixie's very, like, Marilyn Monroe-y hair yeah. and, like, hamming up this flouncy radio. And then the same radio playing as Mary sneaks downstairs and steals money from mm. uh, the coat. Zaheer. I guess it's probably Zaheer's coat, right? Yeah. Like, um, And sneaks outside. And it's just, it's as profound a contrast as the contrast between the nun singing and uh, the brothel is... Trixie and her friends, like, making each other laugh, singing along to this radio, and Mary sneaking out with the money and escaping. Yep. It's all happening in the same world. Same moment. Radio playing the same song. Jenny is out on her day off, and Mary approaches her, asking her to change a five-pound note. Jenny refuses at first, but then takes her to a cafe when she notices the pregnancy. Mary tells her about coming from Ireland to Liverpool to London, and Jenny tells her she knows she's pregnant and takes her to Nanata's house. Mary is frank about her sex work, and Jenny fails to hide her shock. Chummy stays up late working on her uniform and continues to learn how to ride a bicycle. In the morning, Mary sobs to Sister Julianne, terrified to leave, but Sister Julianne manages to convince her to go to a priest's home who will look after her, and if Jenny comes with her. Mary tells a story of another girl that she had to hold down to help have an abortion. Chummy's wounds are stitched by Sister Evangelina, and Chummy tells her how she's going to be a missionary in Africa. I forgot to look up what the deal is with the five-pound note, because it's just like a piece of paper. I mean, like it's, it's, a, it's a like a check, like a banknote. I don't really understand. No, it's just like a... Like paper money, it's just a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Because they pay for the meal and they get back four pounds ninety six. Yeah. So like, 
it's like if she had a hundred dollar bill. Yeah. And that she expects that the restaurant will think that she stole a hundred dollar bill because where would someone like her have a hundred dollars from? Yeah. And she did steal it. And she did steal it. <laughs> so yeah, like, that's clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of money. It is. It just didn't look like a bill, but yeah, that's like what that's I don't know. That, that's what paper money <laughs> is. Paper money is literally just a piece of money with how much it's worth written on it. <laughs> Money's not real, everybody. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> we have this is another. I'm apparently I'm gonna uh, point out cutscenes. That's fine. We have another scene cut in the Netflix, which is the opening of this scene you described starts in the uh, Netflix with just Mary asking Jenny to help her, but in the DVD in the original broadcast we have. Uh, Jenny's feet walking along in high heels and then she winces and takes off her high heels and is watching, walking in bare feet or stockinged feet. And then it pans from her feet to Mary who's wearing high heels. I don't know, like... I feel like that's kind of a neat... Uh, another juxtaposition and like they're walking down the same street. The emphasis on their feet is like they are in yeah. the same p- place. Um. And there's something about the difference. Again, it's like a class difference of like, Jenny can just take off her shoes. Yeah. And right? she's still seen as classy. Whereas if Mary did, she would be, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's so much, it's hard to articulate. But just, yeah, Jenny has is free to take off her shoes. Mm-hmm. And Mary isn't. And Mary isn't. Even after she has escaped the brothel. Or tried to, I mean, like, her escape isn't totally firm yet. Mm-hmm. But she still can't change who she is yeah. the way Jenny can. Uh, Mary talks about her journey from Ireland, that she took a boat from Dublin to Liverpool. And so this is a ferry ride that still exists nowadays. It's about, like, an eight-hour ferry. So it's a good long ferry ride. So she can't, it's not... Uh, surprising that she was like okay i'm in london now that she's like you know i took a long boat i arrived in england i assume this is london because that's the only place she's heard of but in fact she's in liverpool which is about 250 miles from london so if you were to do that nowadays it would be like a four-hour drive which is a significant drive in the 50s the roads were not the same the cars did not go as fast it would take a good day to drive from liverpool to london it's not something that people did back then they barely left they barely left their neighborhood within london never mind drive to liverpool yeah so uh it's a big deal but the assumptions that jenny makes is Mm -hmm. basically that this has just happened that like oh the lorry driver took advantage of her that's why she's pregnant she is not connected the fact that uh, Mary is in prostitution. She's yeah. just like, she's a girl in trouble who who this has recently happened to. I like, there's one of the heartbreaking lines in this episode to me is Mary, that the truck driver was the last good Englishman I met. Yeah. And that it wasn't recent. We know that wasn't recent. She's been in England for a while now. Yeah. I don't know how long. When we, by the end of the episode, we know that she's 15. 
So I, I feel like it's been like a year. Yeah. Probably not that long, but yeah. long enough. The last good Englishman I met. Mm-hmm. And I love also the like, the line from Mary also that convinces Jenny to help her is, people like you are supposed to help people like me. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? Yeah. That somehow she sees in her the goodness. I don't know if it's the goodness. I mean, it is the goodness. Or it's the richness, yeah. too. Yeah. Like, I feel like I need it's... charity and you, you're supposed to provide charity. I feel like it's such a profound moral statement, honestly. Mm-hmm. That, like, why does Jenny help Mary? Because people who can help are supposed to help people who need help. Yeah. And that's the, like, people like you means people with the ability to help. Yeah. And people like me means people who need help. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's not what Mary meant, but that's what I see in it. Yeah. As, like, an actually profound moral statement. Mm-hmm. When... Chummy is riding her bike. All the kids are running around singing Champion the Wonder Horse. Do you know what that is? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, it's like it's so mean. <laughs> she's, ride- she's riding her bike and all the kids are like, Champion the Wonder Horse. <laughs> uh, that is the theme song from a black and white singing cowboy children's show that was only aired in 1956. Hmm but was shown regularly in repeats in the UK until the 80s. Oh, wow. All right. Unusually for a black and white show, it continued to be shown. So, like, you know, she's a horse. Yeah. Although I do question whether any of these kids would be exposed to television. I don't know. Somehow one kid gets exposed and it would spread. So that actually is fine. Um, Yeah, kids are mean. Yeah. And the, and like like exactly what Sister Evangelina says at the beginning, like the East End is going to eat her for breakfast. That like they see this posh giant woman and like it is hilarious to them. And uh, we are probably going to talk about this more as we go on is we live on an island, Newfoundland, that has a very distinct dialect and culture. And there's some real similarities between mm-hmm. where we live and the East End of London, in so, or like what we're exposed to here. And so the idea of being laughed at for not speaking poorly or like, or not. <laughs> Jan, your judgment is showing. My judgment is showing. For, for the, these dialects that are like difficult to understand for outsiders, as opposed to like the clear and, you know, high class upper dialect that everyone can understand is like the two dichotomies here. And this is something that we experience here where there's, it's a dialect that's difficult to understand. And I work as a librarian and that's like a, you know, it's a posh educated role. And so I get laughed at when I don't understand things. Yeah. Because people are speaking too quickly and in accents that I don't understand. And you like, you're not chummy. No. But the whole like, you say two words and everyone knows you're not from here. Exactly. Exactly. So I can really relate to this. And I think this is going to be something that we talk about more as this podcast goes on is... Uh, me especially i don't know if you as well like there's just a relatability to uh not understanding what someone means and it being hilarious to them yeah the uh the east end is very insular 
and Newfoundland is a literal island. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, England is also an island. But... England is also an island. <laughs> oh, yeah, way. good call. <laughs> <laughs> but not in the same way. We're an island of a very small population in comparison. We have the first, uh, the first of not the first and not the last back alley abortion on this show. Yes, exactly. Happens in Mary's story. So this is the, yeah the second episode. This is going to be something we see, of course, because this is about birth and women yep. and life before abortion was legal. So this harrowing story of she had to help hold down a woman who was yeah. being poked with by a needle, like it's. Uh, it's a world where this kind of thing can happen and uh, would happen even more so to women in this situation because they can't have babies. You have to keep yeah. on doing your work so you can make the money so you can give it to your pimp. Yeah. So they aren't, these are forced abortions. Yeah. It really is harrowing. Like it it's is. a horrible, horrible story. Yeah. And she talks about, yeah, the blood and everything and she's she's clearly so traumatized that this is why she has made this dangerous move to leave is because she's seen what happens to women in her situation yeah um because i think that if she hadn't seen that she might have had it happen to her yeah and i love what sister julienne this is again sister julienne being kind but firm Mm -hmm. like you can't stay here uh we're not a nursing home yeah but I love the way she puts it. Like, we help women in the community. And when you go to Father Joe's, you'll be in the community. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Love that way of like... That is, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure exactly. She goes to Father Joe's. What it... Because I thought at first, like, oh, this is a mother and baby house. But that's later. This is just like... Uh, yeah, you said Father Joe's house. Ha- it's, but not, it's, like, it's not his house, but yeah. it's like a house, a home for people. I don't know exactly. Uh, it's not clear, but it's I think, yeah, like it's a home for people who need a home. Yeah. I think it's just that simple, just right? Simple. Yeah. And Father Joe is not uh, innocent at all. He knows exactly what's going on here. And we'll get into that, I guess, in the next part. Um. The scene where Chummy's wounds are stitched by Sister Evangelina, that is the scene that was cut in the Netflix version that is um, kind of crucial. So I don't really understand why it was cut, but Chummy explaining that she sees district nursing as a way to become a missionary in her, what she believes is her calling. Hilariously, when Sister Evangelina hears, you know, a calling, she's like, oh, you know, you're going to be a nun like us? And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> One expects there'll always be a chap along the way. <laughs> so. I, the first time I heard that, I thought one. Ex- I thought I heard her say, One expects there will be a chapel <laughs> on the way. And I'm like, what? But no, she says, One expects there will be, One hopes there will be a chap along the way. <laughs> along the way. Love it. <laughs> and I love how, like, Sister Evangelina is, cannot hide her, like, offended. Yeah, she's, like, she's offended by this, of course, because she has chosen not to have that. And and the way Chummy just, like, casually is like, oh, no, I would never want to be you. Yeah. <laughs> but doesn't, once again, that's the poshness of, like, not fully recognizing what she's, that yeah. she's being offensive in that yeah. moment. Um, but later on, if Sister Evangelina will say, 
she's using us as a stepping stone. And without this scene, we don't understand what she means. So yeah, it's a bit silly that that was cut. I do like, I want to say the, like the God is calling you to the religious life. No, but God's still calling me. Yeah. I like that true. also as a statement on faith in this show mm-hmm. that uh, Chummy feels God's call. And that does not mean she has to become a nun. Yes, exactly. It can mean a lot of things for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And for Chummy, it might mean she's a missionary in Africa. It might mean she, you know, like Sister Evangeline says, this is our work, our life's work. She says that later uh, here in this neighborhood. And that's not just for the nuns. That's also for the nurses. That mm-hmm. uh, I mean, It's one of the things I love about this show that this, this a lot of times on TV, we see this weird depiction of religion where like people are either a nun or an atheist mm-hmm. right yeah and that there's a range of religious perspectives on this show from people who like chummy who are feel like they're called by god and are clearly she keeps taking out her cross and kissing it in moments of uh stress yeah like to like Jenny Lee is like, do you have a faith? Not really. I'm Church of England. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't, she's not like a militant atheist, but she's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I like that those things are just all beside each other. Mm-hmm. Chummy also says when she closes her eyes, she sees little the little black babies. And Sister Evangelina responds with, oh, that, you know, they're here too. You just got to take your bicycle down closer to the docks. And then also, throughout this episode, Sister Monica Joan is holding this little doll that yeah. is like these uh, dolls that existed in England at the time that are racist. I mean, um, don't kid yourself. They still exist. They still exist. You're right. I can't remember. They have a name and I didn't look it up. They uh, Gollywog. Gollywog. That's what it is. These Gollywog dolls that are, yeah, super racist. But anyway, she is... That's a thing that she's holding the whole episode and she's making it and she's making a little beret for it and chummy closes her eyes and sees the black babies but there's right in front of her Mm -hmm. sister monica joan is holding one and it might be fake but like maybe your calling is here maybe you're closing your eyes and seeing this right now yeah so we'll see what happens in the future but this is like maybe you need to go a little closer to the docks maybe you need to look at this doll that sister monica joan is making and notice that you are here now. And I think that's uh, part of the reason why they included that doll. It's partly like to show like, look, it's the fifties, but it's also, I think a point of chummy sees these children. What she imagines in in Africa is already here. Exactly. So Mary and Jenny take the bus and Mary panics when they drive past the brothel. The priest at the house listens to her story of a boyfriend and then later tells Jenny that she's heard, he's heard this story many times of men who lure women into the life so easily. Jenny is shocked, but comes to understand. Later, she walks the street and encounters this world she didn't know existed. Chummy leaves to go to the clinic and is teased by Jack, who is with his pregnant mom, Mrs. Smith. Ben. Chummy arrives late to the annoyance of Sister Evangelina. Two women, Brenda and Mrs. Smith, chat, both older and pregnant. Brenda is led to the bed by Chummy, revealing that she has crutches and metal leg braces. Dr. Turner, 
coldly explains Brenda's history of rickets and miscarriages, and Brenda bursts into tears. Chummy is sympathetic, encourages her, and gives her a handkerchief, but then also knocks over all the instruments and the screen, (laughs) breaking some of them. As she cleans it up, Sister Evangelina is snarky, but Dr. Turner praises her nursing skills. I like... Oh, it's like heartbreaking, but I like Father Joe's assessment of poverty mm-hmm. to Jenny. That like, first of all, Jenny like, do they have no sense of danger? And Father mm-hmm. Joe's just like, they've been in danger all their life, always. Mm-hmm. It's not that they don't have a sense of like. It's not that they're innocent and naive and don't expect danger. It's that they are so used to it whether danger of hunger and poverty or danger of violence like and that perspective of like why why don't people take care of themselves the way jenny thinks they should Mm -hmm. is the same thing we saw in episode one of like why doesn't she care that she has syphilis yeah like because she's not because she's always in danger Mm -hmm. it's not that she doesn't care that she's in danger it's that she doesn't think there's any option yeah exactly exactly and the way father joe says like you you haven't seen poverty or you've maybe seen it but you haven't understood poverty Mm -hmm. because poverty isn't having isn't not having enough money it's not, not being cared for not being supported and loved and being shown kindness mm-hmm. and the phrase like never receiving a kiss that wasn't down payment on a blow yeah oh. that's a quite a statement from father joe yeah and uh the way mary wants to defend herself and be like you know i'm not a fallen woman i've got a boyfriend and she is deluding herself and father joe and jenny see right through it but they have to let her delude herself a little bit to start to be like yes sure he's your boyfriend but he's not he took advantage of you to pimp you out yeah yeah we understand you were forced let's move on yeah exactly and i like to Man, that conversation with Jenny and Father Joe, I really like. Mm -hmm. And when uh, Jenny says, you know, you must think me very ignorant. Mm -hmm. And Father Joe says, I think you're very fortunate. Yeah. And you don't need to apologize for that. Yeah. And later on, she walks through the, like, red light district, for want of a better word. I feel like that's a bit... It's a bit much. It's a bit much because I don't think that she would be completely left alone if she did that. I feel like it's surprising that no one talks to her and is like, you know, you're looking in a window at a woman stripping. Like, it's not really like, hey, posh lady, get out of here kind of thing. But... uh, And also a little... We have again the, like, uh, cleanse me of my sin as a woman's taken off her clothes. It's a little much, I think. A little much, I think. But it does show, like, Jenny realizing that the night, the night being for women, or the night being kind of a safe time is completely a myth. Yeah. Um, so Chummy and the, the clinic that we see, mm-hmm. we have this conversation between these two women, uh, Betty Smith, who is Jack's mother. She is uh, 
her oldest child is getting married and so she talks about being she's 42 and she's pregnant and mother of the bride at the same time and she's kind of like i've come around to having another one but she's not happy about it she's embarrassed she's embarrassed of it really and like not in like a, i want to get rid of it but just in like and i'm embarrassed to be pregnant at my daughter's wedding and then she's talking to brenda about uh you know brenda's on her second marriage and they talk a little bit about the war and so matter-of-factly that brenda's like you know oh my you know my how did how did your husband die oh you know he died in this fire and and Mrs. Smith is like, oh, yeah, the, the gutters ran with syrup for a week or whatever it was. <laughs> a fire in the sugar works. Right. And the gutters ran with fudge for a week. <laughs> for a week. And, like, that was her husband that died, lady. Like, like there's yeah. just, just, like, not a lot of tact and not a lot like, of, like, sympathy. <laughs> I was, like, didn't quite catch what she meant the first time uh, when she's like, I got remarried. Well, that's a punch in the face for Adolf. Yeah. It's like... Adolf Hitler. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, part of the like, uh, I've no, I know too many Mennonites, uh, old Mennonites. I know other Adolfs, uh, <laughs> but I just like that. You know, getting married again is a punch in the face to Adolf. Yeah, Take that. exactly. And uh, and she's also older and pregnant, but as we soon see, she's got rickets, which. Uh, Dr. Turner very coldly explains, like, she was de- she was deprived of sunlight as a child. And rickets are uh, a lack of vitamin D, which comes from the sun and other sources. Um, it was sometimes called back then the English disease because children affected by the smog and mm. the lack of sunlight in England did end up having rickets, even if they were not necessarily neglected. Hmm. But in Brenda's case, it seems to also come from... Like she was deprived of sunlight as a child, so something she yeah. was kept indoors. It was a bad situation. Doctor Turner's bedside manner here leaves something to be desired. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, I think just a bit cold <laughs> to say the least. I don't think we're. Uh, I don't think it's unfair to say we'll see more of Doctor Turner, and he doesn't remain this cold. Yeah. Exactly. We do I was see, surprised to see him this cold. We do see quite a few doctors in this show. There's like a contrast between the doctors and the nurses. Yes, absolutely. That the show draws again and again. Yeah. They're like the doctors tend to treat their patients mechanically mm-hmm. and talk to each other. And so we see Dr. Turner doing that in this episode. And he's going to... Maybe maybe they change his characterization. Maybe he just gets better at mm-hmm. being a doctor. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and Chummy being clumsy and breaking everything. Once again, the glass, glass yeah. instruments. Um, but Dr. Turner still praises her. Like, she, he sees in her the kindness, and he sees, like, you are doing a good job. You're a good nurse. <laughs> I love Sister Angelina. It's like so mean. Like, well, I hope you're more careful with the babies. They're not so easily replaced. Snap, walks out the door. <laughs> no, like, come on. <laughs> they call her a reverse snob. And like, that is, yeah, clear that like anything that Chummy does, Sister Evangelina will not like simply because she's posh and Sister Evangelina has grown up in poverty and lived in Poplar and yeah. sees her as a, yeah, tourist. Time passes and Jenny examines Mary while Chummy studies and practices with a doll. 
Sister Bernadette teaches a class on breech births, and Chummy talks about a trick she witnessed delivering one. Sister Evangelina comes in to yell at Chummy about missing patients due to not riding a bicycle. Jenny cares for Mary while she talks about her boyfriend Zahir, praising his treatment of her, and then mentions he's outside in the street. Father Joe is angry and wants to send Mary out of the London and makes calls to get her into a mother and child hospital in Kent. Jenny sends Mary off with her scarf. Chummy continues to try to ride her bike, but crashes again, this time into a police officer, Sergeant Noakes. The, the nurses are in trouble over lunch and Chummy is disgusted. Sister Evangelina cruelly abusing her. So the scene... The, which is cut in the Netflix version mm-hmm. of Chummy practicing with the doll. Uh, one thing I just want to draw attention to is she practices with a breech. Yeah. You and specifically it, see her yeah. failing to. Failing to, yeah. Like practicing with the awful. If you think of it as a, a living baby and mother, like the breech, and she's like, yank, 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 and then can't get it out, and is like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's also, this is once again a little bit on the nose, is like, they're learning specifically about breached births in this episode, and then later on there is one. But I think it's also necessary for the audience yeah. to understand what a breached birth can be. And is. I can accept, like, as a narrative device that, you know, if we think that this is a documentary, she learned about breach at some point, and then there was a breach at some point, and they didn't necessarily happen within a couple of hours of each other. no. We're just seeing them on top of each and other. the timeline in this episode, Mary starts off pregnant, but not hugely pregnant. And by the end, she's given birth and the baby is given away. Like, it's, it's so several, it's like this months. is several months. I wouldn't say eight months. She's like, Seven? she's like six months pregnant six. when she's just here. So. <laughs> Three. Stop just naming numbers. <laughs> I'm saying it was several months. Yes. So that in that time, you know, that's why Sister Evangelina is so upset at Chummy for not being able to ride a bicycle. Is This isn't like a week of trying to ride. This is like months of learning how to ride a bicycle. Yes. Let me see. The, <laughs> the scene where Sister Bernadette is teaching them about breech births. I just have to call out, like, <laughs> uh, Cynthia, didn't Shakespeare describe a breech birth? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about, Cynthia? Why, how is that relevant? Like, what? This is also, like, all the midwives are not from the East End. I yeah. think this is, like, another instance of, like, it's not just Chummy. Yeah. It's all of them. None of them are from here. They all say things that, like, these blue-collar workers are not going to talk about Shakespeare when they're talking about a baby coming out ass first. <laughs> yeah. Although Sister Monica Joan is the one who says they call it coming out ass first. And then a few minutes later, she quotes Shakespeare. Yes, that's true. When Sister Evangelina comes in and yells at Chummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sister Monica Jones says, Blow winds and crack your cheeks. Rage, blow your cataracts and hurricanes. Spout till you have drenched our steeples and drowned their weathercocks. That is from King Lear. Mm-hmm. The speech that King Lear gives when he's out on the moors and the out on the heath and the storm is blowing. And it basically means, like, do your worst, storm. Like, be as loud as you want. I'm still here and I'm not going to be bothered. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a educated way of saying, I ain't bothered. Yeah. <laughs> And so Sister Monica Joan is yelling at Chummy, and I mean Sister Evangeline is yelling at Chummy, and Sister Monica Joan's like, 
Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Mary talking about her relationship with Sahir. Oh. And Jenny is like, Emotional she's trying whiplash. to... Yeah, sorry, emotional whiplash. <laughs> That's what this show is. Emotional whiplash. Uh, Jenny is trying to listen and be an ear, but also is like horrified because she, Mary still thinks, you know, oh, he was a nice guy. He was, you know, he treated me so nicely, nicer than any other man ever did. And like, it's, she just still doesn't quite get it. Yeah. And... And is like, look, he's outside my window. Isn't he sweet? Doesn't he love me? No, you're his property who he wants back. Like, Zakir out on the street, just like chilling. Yeah, exactly. And I like, I really like that, uh, I mean, Father Joe, uh, isn't the best by the end. Mm-hmm. Or he's, he's well-intentioned. But in this moment, like, I don't care how many calls I have to make, I'm getting her out of here. That like I like that he does not underreact yeah. to Zakir waiting outside her window. Yeah. He reacts exactly. very appropriately. Yeah. That like this is uh urgent. We need to get her out now. Mm-hmm. And then what he sh- says that she's younger than most and she's not sharp in the head, and she's valuable to them on both those counts. Yeah. Exactly. And that's also like oh, Ugh. awful. Awful, awful, awful. Uh she in one of these scenes where Mary, where Jenny is visiting her, she dances to a song mm-hmm. in much a similar way as Trixie did before, and so it's like it's this parallel between they're both just girls having fun, singing a song, dancing around. Uh, they both want to be that carefree, but Mary will never be that carefree. She yeah. has a mo- she has moments here of. Uh, being safe. Mm-hmm. She is safe in this house and is able to express herself, but much in the way that Trixie could, but Trixie can all the time, and Mary is only for this moment. Yeah. And the song that plays while Jenny is examining Mary, and I, I didn't actually make note, but I think it's still the same song when she dances, is You Belong to Me. Mm-hmm. Which is again like there's themes of people belonging to each to other people in this whole episode, and it's Mary and her baby, and it's also Zakir and Mary. There's something very sweet in the like you belong to me that she's thinking about her future baby. There's something very by the end of the episode extremely heartbreaking that the thing that the baby that belonged to her is taken away from her, and there's also like in this song itself. Uh, and we see it in Zakir, like something chilling about mm-hmm. you belong to me. Belong I love you me. and therefore you are my property. Mm-hmm. So Jenny visits Mary, who has had her baby when she is in Kent. She's named her Kathleen and adores her. Chummy is finally put on the ro- first on the roster and is called to Betty Smith at the wedding. Fred gives her tea as she sets off unsteadily on her bike. She arrives and discovers that the baby is Breach. Mrs. Smith doesn't want to go to the hospital, so Chummy goes to the hall, calms herself, and takes command of the children, telling Jack to call for help. Chummy takes charge, delivers the baby. Sister Evangelina and Dr. Turner arrive, 
But Chummy has already been successful, delivering a healthy girl to Betty Smith. Meanwhile, Jenny receives a two-line letter from Mary, simply saying, Baby gone, please come. She drives to see her and finds they've taken the baby away. She is highly, Mary is highly distressed and has had no physical care. Jenny rages against the priest. He tells her that, and he tells her that Mary is only 15. They had to choose which child's life is more in need. Jenny comforts her. She helps bind her breast to dry the milk using the scarf that she gave her earlier. Mature Jenny then narrates that Mary was never reunited with her child. Meanwhile, Chummy has learned to ride her bike with little Jack as her guardian. Brenda is seen with a newborn. Thank you. Thanks to the NHS's free C-section. When Mary is holding uh, her daughter, Kathleen, she is singing a snippet of Embraceable You, which is the same song that Trixie was singing in the kitchen and that was playing when Mary sneaked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like tying this all together. I maybe like uh, don't want to take this chronologically because the kick of this episode, like there are two gut punches in this episode one is she's 15 yeah like we knew she was young yeah but we didn't, I didn't know, know she at was that age until then but the other one is mary was never reunited with her daughter mm-hmm. and like it's one of the things that uh i feel like i feel like one of the things that this show does well uh and it's painful <laughs> is like I'm not sure it would be best to keep Kathleen with Mary. I'm not sure that mm-hmm. uh, Father Joe is totally wrong. Yeah. But it's absolutely crushingly heartbreaking. It is. And the, like, the thing that is wrong is that she like, doesn't even know her name and can never find her ever. Mm-hmm. She's given her an Irish name. Yeah. She's given her Kathleen, which is an Irish name. And she'll be given to an English couple who will rename her something English. And, like, I believe, you know, it is sometimes in a baby's best interest to take it from its parents. I think that should be... I mean, I don't, that shouldn't be done lightly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like... the The cruelty of, like, she is no possibility of ever finding her ever mm-hmm. it's, I mean that's how this episode ends not quite a little more happens but I just can't go back and talk about the other parts without like addressing no, that exactly. because that's it's cruel. heartbreaking it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. It's, Father Joe talks about she, the baby was taken away without her consent and he says she can't consent she's 15 um and she's a child she's uh and he has, says they had to choose which child to save because if they had let, let her have this child this child would also be living in poverty and probably Mary would fall back into prostitution because she has nothing else 
Well, that's but certainly Joe, Father Joe's that's really, rationale. That's Father yeah. Joe's rationale, which is, he's probably not wrong. However, they don't really do anything to save her either. Like, they save, okay, they save this baby, but they do nothing for Mary, including no physical care when they take away her breastfeeding baby and she's left to develop abscesses and mastitis, which is just cruel. Yeah. It's one thing to, to this emotional cruelty, and then they add the physical cruelty on top of that. And Jen, that's why Jenny is ragingly mad. But mastitis, just to like get clinical about it, uh, is when uh, if a woman is suddenly stops breastfeeding or a baby won't eat or whatever, uh, it's a buildup of milk that can cause blocked milk ducts in the breasts and can lead to infection. Which and, it does here. Which it does in this case. The abscesses are infection in both breasts, she says. And so it needs like antibiotics and care. And it is extraordinarily painful. It is burning and fever and infection. And to put that onto her on top of the emotional distress is unconscionable. Yeah, and it's not like an inevitable result mm-hmm. is the point. But it's not it's avoidable. Yeah. In this case. Uh I love the scarf. So mm-hmm. the scarf that Jenny is wearing when she first meets Mary is Mary admires it and Jenny says it's from Paris. Uh she then gives Mary the scarf as she's leaving as like a touchstone of I'm still with you. Yeah. Here is this thing that you admired. You can have it, this beautiful silk scarf. And then she sees her again and she needs to bind her breasts and she says, you know, can I use the scarf? And so then she uses the scarf and it's this uh thing that binds Mary and Jenny together and shows that Jenny has not left her mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Yep. So, moving on from Mary, because it's <laughs> difficult. Let's talk about Chummy and Let's her amazingly well, being amazing. to be happier. Yeah, exactly. So, Chummy gets, is sitting there with Fred. She gets called to her first, she's talking about being, like, called up in the Air Force or whatever. Uh, she gets called to go to this woman's birth. They're in the middle of the wedding. I love the, the wedding party is seeing the hokey cokey. Just like the yeah. hokey pokey with slightly different words, but like I guess before that was a kid song it was an everybody song. Well it's like the bird dance that yeah. they still sometimes do in weddings. It's totally. like And then later they sing old MacDonald. Yeah. Like they're just you don't out have there a band, you just sing dancing some, uh, on the street. Yeah. I love yeah, it actually. That was really I fun. love it. It was really fun to see that. <laughs> why, Chubby, why do you ride your bike straight through the party? Like clearly because that's she can't avoidable. Turn. <laughs> this is trouble. <laughs> is that she can't turn. And Jack's making fun of her being like, Everybody out of the way and he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, do do please run. <laughs> do please run. Like So uh and he oh the moment the like fifties moment of Jack's grandmother Gives him a wallop for making fun of the Nanatus midwife. And then the father is like, why'd you wallop him? And 
she's like, he was making fun of the honest midwife, and he wallops him again. It's like, you wallop too lightly. It's like, yeah. he needs to, like, hit him a little harder. And it's, I really expect him to be like, don't you hit my boy. Yeah. But it's like, don't you hit my boy Why too softly. Okay. Yeah. So, like, that's, like, just these little tastes of, like, oh, the 50s, where, yay, you hit your children. Like, it's not good, but it's no. also played for comedy, and maybe it is. And maybe, we, maybe we're laughing too lightly at little, yeah, and little like, at bits of child abuse. Yeah. But, like, that's the way things were. I guess. Oh, I definitely have heard stories about people being, like, you got the strap at school, and you got home, and got asked why you got the strap, and you got the strap again. Like, yeah. Yikes. I'm glad we are not like that anymore. Um, so anyway, Chummy uh, discovers that this is a breach birth, which has been, you know, telegraphed the whole episode. Yep. And has her moment of panic. And then it's just like, I will be back in precisely one moment. She goes out, she kisses her cross. She hears the children yelling and screaming. And she just like, something clicks. That she takes charge. She tells the kids, you know, get out. Jack, call the Nanata's house. She teaches them how to say breach. So he can just say, like, breach to whoever he talks to, which is brilliant. She And then she delivers the baby using this trick she has seen. Mm. Do you, did you look that up at all? Because Sister Monica Jones says it's a showman's trick. Mm-hmm. And it makes it feel like, oh, don't do that. I think I did look it up a little bit. Uh, breach births, just a little bit about breach births in general before Go. I get to that, is breach births are about 3 to 5% of pregnancies of breach. So it's uncommon, but not like crazily uncommon. These days, you just get a C section. Mm-hmm. Some people will deliver naturally with a breach birth, but often you just have a C section. The trick that Chummy uses is dangerous because it can cause asphyxiation because when the baby's head is still in the birth canal with the rest of its body out if it feel if a baby feels like it's exposed to air like it can breathe it may gasp for breath and if it gasps for breath while still in the birth canal it can asphyxiate mm-hmm. and uh aspirate liquid it is by the way just i know this is dead obvious but it's kind of crazy that like it's because it's never breathed before yeah exactly sorry okay go on yeah um so wrapping the baby as it's coming out in a towel making it feel like it's still in the womb and then very slowly the mother pushing the head out is possible this is how to deliver a breech birth if that's the only way you know how, which I think this is what happens, is Chummy doesn't know any other... This is the only way she's seen it happen. Right. She's been told and been given some instruction, but this is the only way she's seen it happen, and so she just does it that way. What is, did you look up enough to know, like, if leaving the head in is so dangerous, why do they do it at all? Like, you have to... Uh, deliver a breech birth very very slowly for the sake of uh, the mother for or the, the sake baby? of the mother and the baby but uh, another way of getting the breech baby out faster it would be to do an episiotomy which mm. is cutting right and you want especially in this case in the like home birth kind of way you want to do as little like stitching and cutting as possible 
To avoid infection. To avoid infection. Yeah. But I don't really know how you deliver naturally that isn't that, so I don't really know. Okay. That is something I tried to find out, but it was very difficult because we live in the day and age where people are like, reach birth, just have a C-section. Like, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yep. Like, like St. Nanatus did. Like St. Nanatus did. Or, or St. Nanatus's mother did mm-hmm. and died. So maybe not like he did. Yeah, exactly. Um, when Jack is like, I like the change in Jack and... There's kind of two moments that change Jack's attitude towards uh, Chummy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like one of them is just the, like, she's there to help his mom and he's worried about her. Yeah. When he's sitting on the step next to his dad and his dad's like, come on, you big girl's blouse. It's only a baby being born. Although I like the delivery there, actually. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I don't think you should call your kid a girl's blouse for being worried about his mom but Mm -hmm. i do like that his delivery is like he doesn't believe it's only a baby being born yeah but then the other moment is that like chummy takes charge and tells him what to do and then not just like takes charge i think that would have that is a moment of like okay we respect chummy now but like he makes she makes him gives him a job to do she makes him involved and like not just take charge but Mm -hmm. like you do something helpful that I have told you to do, and now you are helping, and you're helping because you have listened to me, and now I'm an authority over you. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Do something concrete and helpful, and it's I, it's a great little moment. Mm-hmm. And she buys him a bike out of her own private funds, it says, because yeah. Chummy is rich. <laughs> yeah, her generous private funds. Her generous funds, private funds, yeah. <laughs> so she's not worried about making money as a midwife. She is uh, like the other girls. Yeah. So in the last moments, we see the we see Brenda with her baby, and this is again. Uh, once again, we're talking about the NHS. Yeah. These first two episodes, and maybe this continues more than I realized, is praising the NHS. So uh, Brenda didn't have the care of the NHS when she was a child and developed rickets. She didn't have it for her first pregnancies when uh, she couldn't pay to have a cesarean section. Yeah. So her first pregnancies were likely in the 40s, well, but before her husband would have died in World War II. So in the 40s, she would have been pregnant without... Uh, or 30s. Or 30s. Without the ability to... Uh, to give birth in a hospital because a hospital costs money. And... They could have done, like, they did C-sections in the 30s and 40s, but they cost money, and she was poor and could not afford that, and now she's able to afford it and easily can have a baby. She doesn't have to, and she doesn't have to worry about uh, natural birth. And, like, this episode ends with another fairly heavy-handed, like, don't thank me, thank the National Health Service. Mm -hmm. But it also, like... It's like the show is starting with a real uh, perspective that it uh, wants to be clear. Mm -hmm. That like, you know, maybe it's heavy handed, but it's still like, don't pussyfoot around. This baby would have died without the National Health Service. Yeah, exactly. This mother would have died. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not abstract. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of the same... It, it kind of connects to me to, like, 
Father Joe talking to Jenny about, like, you, you're young, you can be angry in the abstract. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Jenny actually is angry in the abstract. I don't think that's quite fair. Yeah. But the, the point is true that, like, there's a difference between angry and the abstract and well, what do we need to do in this particular case? Yeah, exactly. And I like that the show is making, like, staking its claim really clearly that the National Health Service isn't just good in the abstract. Mm-hmm. Like, every episode, let's show someone who would have died without it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. I think this sets a tone for the series mm-hmm. that it's going to carry on. Mm-hmm. Of, like, we t- said the first episode that Call the Midwife will make you cry. Uh, the first episode made me well up a little because birth is beautiful. But, like, this one is the start of the gut punches that are Call the Midwife. Yep, exactly. Get ready to have your gut punched. Well, and the gut punches, like, I like, too, and speaking of the National Health Service, like, Mary's situation is also, we're not pulling our punches that, like, this isn't something that just happened because she met a bad man. Yeah. Right? And that's one of the things we said maybe in the first episode, that a lot of the individuals in Call the Midwife are too good for this world, and that's partly because... One of the, uh, I think, moral perspectives of the show is that individuals are good and try to help, but social systems are mm-hmm. uh, harmful yeah. or can be. And so, like, the villain on the show is poverty. Yeah. And the villain of this episode isn't Zakir. Mm-hmm. It's poverty. It's poverty. And Zakir is just a symptom. Yeah. And we don't even talk about necessarily... The reason that she came to London in the first place was escaping poverty and abuse. And when her mother took a man into the house, she had to leave. And then she says, uh, by the way, like when she is talking about Zakir, she's like, I knew what men did to women. I had had it done to me. Yeah. She says, I had to leave when my mom took a man in the house. Mm -hmm. And that's all very subtext. But there is a subtext there that like... But it's again... There are bad people on this show, but the perspective of the show is shows us individuals who are good and trying to do good against structures mm-hmm. that they need to fight against. Yeah. My point about Ireland partly was because Irish poverty yes. was even greater than English poverty at this point as well. Very true. What, right. Jan, what is your favorite part? Oh, what is my favorite part? I forgot to to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) I think my favorite part has to be chummy triumphant. It has to be when Sister Evangelina and Dr. Turner show up and she says, silence for the mother and she delivers the baby and Sister Evangelina sees that she's competent. I think I get chills thinking about how like she finally does it. She finally shows that she's competent nurse and midwife. Yeah, and that moment of quiet for the mother that she just, like, she isn't even... When she says, all children go downstairs, she's, like, kind of playing it authoritative. Mm -hmm. Uh, When Dr. Turner and Sister Evangelina come in and she's just like, quiet for the mother! She is not putting on a show of being the boss of this room. She is the boss of this room. Exactly. Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say less emotionally satisfying and just, uh, I love... uh, uh, another chubby moment. I love chubby cutting Princess Margaret's head off. <laughs> and them being like, oh, 
I think she won't be too mad. She seems like a laugh and Chubby being like, oh, she's a right laugh when she's had a gin in it. And they're all just like, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that whole exchange. <laughs> I mean, I, it's not that I know her well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Chubby is my favorite part of this episode. Yeah, mine too. So if you have uh, favorite parts of this episode, if you want to talk back to us, we are on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. We are on, uh, you can email, you can email poplar at clockworksacademy.com for longer form responses. Uh, If you would like to guest on our show, let us know in email Mm -hmm. or on Twitter. Uh, We are hoping to have some more knowledgeable guests in terms of uh, birth and and medical things. Yeah, especially if you are a healthcare provider who specializes in birth, we would love to talk to you. Absolutely, absolutely. And like everything from doula to uh, gynecologist, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So just putting that out there. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. So thanks for listening. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. That's definitely how you're ending this show. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay. I, no, I like it. I put up with three years of clock puns from you. No, I, I really, I think it's really good, and I really like it. <laughs> three years of clock puns.